Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. Welcome to another episode of Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. We're covering the Dakar Rally 2019, stage two done and dusted. We find ourselves in a very dusty, a very windy San Juan de Marcona. And if it sounds bad, it's because it really, really is. Uh, joining me as always, we've got Voldu van der Waal, we've got Hannes Fisser, and we've got the man leading the Dakar Rally for 2019 so far. From Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa, a man who won it back in 2009, Janil de Villiers. Janil, you must be pretty happy with the, the day's proceedings. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the day <coughs> went pretty well for us. Um, of course, it's only early days, uh, only the second day. But, uh, you know, nevertheless, it's uh, it's good to, to be in the front at least uh, at this point in time. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, in, in, it's important for us to stay focused. Um, you know the real difficult stuff is, is still coming and there's many days uh, to go the first nine cars are within three minutes which is absolutely nothing in the Dakar um, and tomorrow is going to be one of the the difficult stages of the race so we just got to keep focused and, and, and do our job and, and try and avoid the mistakes but uh, yeah everything went well today the car ran like clockwork I was very happy with the performance of the Hilux so uh, a good day in the end of course, uh, it's not just uh, Janil and the team from Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa that are happy, but I think uh, South Africa in general and the media team covering the event, uh, which is myself, Hannes, Voldu and Raymond Haps, uh, one of our camera guys. Uh, Voldu, you've been uh, sending out the, the official press releases along with a host of other things, and, and you're watching it uh, second by second today as we, we made the drive over uh, this morning, over the last like 400 kilometers. Uh, you, you were tracking things. And, yeah, I mean, it couldn't really have worked out better for Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa. Uh, well, absolutely. I do think that one of the big tricks of the Dakar is to try and, and get to the front without winning too many stages. Because once you win a stage, you've got to lead uh, the, the proceedings for the next day, which can be really, really tricky. As we saw today with NASA losing more than seven minutes, mainly because he was opening the road for everyone. So um, playing, a, it's like a strategy game almost. You, you want to be fast, but not too fast. Um, and it's a game that, uh, that Janil clearly plays very well. I mean, his name is at the top of the overall standings, but he won't be the first guy on the road tomorrow. And that's almost the ideal position to be in. And unfortunately, you can't keep that up forever. If you, if you want to win the race at a certain stage, you might have to open a stage or two. But um, for now, we couldn't be in a better position. Janil, just from my side, uh, explain to the, to the listeners what does it mean to open the road? I mean, we know that uh, we always say there are no tracks to follow, but what exactly does it mean from behind the steering wheel if you have to drive through 300 kilometers of virgin sand dunes? Yeah, well, the, <coughs> the biggest challenge is, is, uh, is when you drive and there's absolutely no tracks in front of you. Now, on some stages, uh, we do have the motorbikes which go in front of us, and then you do have some tracks to follow. Um, you know, it just gives you a point of uh, reference um, in the dunes uh, and in the far sections. Of course, if you're on a, on a, on a road or a, a piste, as they call it, it's not a problem. But as soon as you're in the off-road and you don't have a track to follow, you have no depth of field and it's very difficult to judge where the edge of the dune and stuff like that is. So, if there's tracks in front of you, it makes it, makes it much, much easier um, to follow. And then you don't have to concentrate that much on the navigating. Of course, the, the, the co-driver needs to be very sharp to still get his waypoints because 
the guy in front which uh, which is making the tracks can also make a mistake um, and you've got to be sharp that you uh, try and avoid mistakes that d they do make but for sure I mean it is very very tricky to open stages and s specifically off-road stages where there are no tracks if you're on a road and the stage is mainly um, a road then it's uh, not so not such a big problem it may only be stage two but it does feel like we've been here for quite a while uh, but we started in the nice city of Lima, moved over to Pisco, also equally nice. But uh, this time around, as we head into San Juan de Marco, I mean, it really does feel like the Dakar has begun. As far as our um, experiences, I, I can imagine for the drivers, yesterday's 80-kilometer stage doesn't uh, nearly compare to what you experienced today. Yeah, look, I mean, <coughs> yesterday was a nice warm-up, but... Um you got to do all the stages to get to the finish but uh, today was a real stage it was a proper mix of everything uh, you know dunes fresh fish um, a nice section along the beach uh, some rocks so there was a, a bit of everything and, and a proper Dakar stage so um, yeah there's going to be a lot more of them to come tomorrow is going to be a, a particularly difficult one we know the area we've been there last year and there's a section with a lot of tricky difficult dunes so uh, we've got to navigate through that and then uh, I think the day after that's a marathon stage where we're not allowed to have service. Uh, so there's a lot of racing still to come. And uh, yeah, uh, the long stages are the real stages. Uh, Janil, we saw today already, even though there's just, just a little bit of difference between the top guys, I mean, time-wise, they're very close together, but there was already a bit of a shuffling of the deck, if we can call it that. We saw, uh, we saw Sebastian Loeb come through from uh, 13th on the road to, to win the stage. So that's possible. But um, did you see anything in the competition that made you sit up and take notice and say, Ooh, well, that might be a problem later on? Well, um, uh, Loeb was cer certainly quick today. Um, he had a good road position. Of course, the cars opened the track today so that we didn't have any bike tracks to follow. So that was very difficult for NASA. Um, <coughs> but Loeb was certainly very quick. So we need to keep an eye on him. And then, um, you know, the minis uh, were also quick. Um, uh, Nanny Roma was quite quick today. They also had a good starting position. Um, so no, they, they, it, it certainly seems like the the cars are very evenly matched. So I think at the end of the day, it's going to be the guy that makes the least mistakes, you know, and and, and doesn't get um, caught up getting stuck or anything anything like that. But um, it looks like it's 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 pretty close. Janil, when I spoke to Nasser earlier, he was saying that uh, he obviously knew he was going to lose time today, and everything went perfectly according to plan. And his road position for tomorrow, I think, is 11 or something, which he said is absolutely perfect to try and make up, say, 10 minutes against uh, the rest of the field. So, obviously, every day is a different strategy. You have to take it day by day. Yeah, look, I mean, <coughs> he, he, he lost time today, but he's got a, he's got a good starting position for tomorrow, and uh, he's definitely going to be quick tomorrow. Um, so, uh, yeah, he's, uh, we're starting fourth, which is not bad. Um, there's three cars in front of us. So uh, there, there are also some bike tracks to follow tomorrow, but tomorrow the difficulty will be to navigate through the, the dune field. Uh, we know it's very tricky from, from last year, and it's, uh, it's, it's a stage where we lost uh, more than an hour last year uh, by getting stuck, so uh, we need to try and avoid that this year. Well, I can tell you from our point of view, it was quite exciting today to see uh, how all the plans came together. And uh, going forward, we're quite happy about the fact that you're leading the rally. Bernard second, I think, overall. Uh, you've all got good road positions for tomorrow. I don't think it can can be any better for now at this stage anyway. 
look for now it's 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 great i mean it's great for toyota uh toyota one two at this point in time yesterday nasa was leading so um yeah i mean so far a perfect start but as i said you know we got to keep it there it's still a long way to go Interesting regarding Sebastian Loeb. A few months ago, we were chatting to you at the launch of the team announcement for the Dakar 2019. And you spoke about Loeb in glowing terms, saying that he's probably the best driver out there across the field. But we had Dirk van Zutzewitz sitting with us a couple of days ago, your, your navigator, and he said he actually wasn't that concerned about his performances uh, going into this race. He today proved that uh, if he gets things going, he has the potential to do extremely well. Well, you're not a, you're not a nine times uh, world rally champion for nothing. So I mean, that guy learns very quickly. Uh, he went he went slowly yesterday. He just uh, got used to things. Today he showed a bit more 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 pace, and um, you know I expect him to go even quicker. Uh, but for sure, he's going to have a challenge tomorrow by opening the road. Um, that's not going to be easy for him. I think that's that's his weak point uh, to open the road in the dunes, um, and uh, we just got to make sure we capitalize on that. Um, Janil, tell us a little bit about uh, fuel consumption in the sand because obviously everybody understands that a race car is not a road car and it uses a hell of a lot more fuel. But does the does the sand and the big dunes sap a lot more fuel than normal and do you have to carry extra weight tomorrow for the longer stage? Well, the consumption is, is quite heavy in the sand and especially the sand is quite soft. So we, I think the consumption is about one to one, uh, <laughs> one kilometer per liter. So it's a bit heavier than your normal shopping car. <laughs> Quite but, a bit. Uh, yeah, you, you you need a big fuel tank on these things to to be able to make uh, a three or four or five hundred k's. What are your movements now? Now you've you've done the stage. You did very well. Uh, you're starting out fourth tomorrow. Now we're in the middle of of nowhere. Uh, we're around the corner from San Juan de, de Macana. Macana. Uh, do you do you relax? I mean, when do you put your feet up? Have you had a look at the road book? Obviously, that's uh, a lot of Dirk's homework. But yeah, now until you get into the race car. Uh, what do you do? Well, we've um, spent the afternoon debriefing with the team and, uh, you know, discussing uh, some things for tomorrow, uh, you know, with the tyres, with the fuel, all that stuff. Uh, we got to get the strategy right for tomorrow. And then, of course, Dirk's working on his roadbook. Um, we had an hour or two to relax in the, in the, in the camper. We've got a camper here in the middle of nowhere in the dust. So we're relaxing there. But I'm going to try and uh, sneak away and get some uh, quiet time, get some sleep uh, away from the bivouac. Um, I prefer it that way. That's, it's just it's so noisy with all the motorbikes coming in late at night, uh, a lot of guys um, working on their cars. But, you know, if, if we have a really early start, I do also sleep in the camper here with Dirk. Well, uh, we won't keep you too much longer. Uh, I think you do need to go get some rest uh, as We'll be rooting for you uh, come stage three. Talk us through stage three quick. Uh, so how many Ks? Uh, a bit of a liaison too? Yeah, short liaison in the morning. Uh, six Ks. Stage is starting at 7.53 local time here in the Bivak. And then we got a stage of 350 kilometers. And then afterwards a long uh, liaison of 413 kilometers uh, to get to the next town. But um, stage is going to be difficult. Um, First 60 k's, I think it's going to be sandy tracks quite fast, and then next 60 k's is going to be the real dunes, the real big dunes with the big holes and soft sand. So um, that's going to be tricky. I think the the middle part of the stage is the tricky part. So uh, we've got to make sure that we are wide awake tomorrow. Obviously, predicting anything on the Dakar is a dangerous game to play. 
even so, have you got a feeling about tomorrow? Not really. Um, it's dangerous to have feelings on the deck or, or of anything. You just gotta you gotta start every day fresh. You gotta focus. You know, take every day as a new day, and uh, you gotta be one hundred percent concentrated and just do your best on that day. And uh, you know, the rest will take care of itself. Well, I can tell you from our side that uh, you also keep us on our toes, and, and and the stress levels are high as we follow every waypoint and and waiting for the names to pop up. So tough day all around um, I think it's gonna be a good one good luck from our side certainly thanks lads let's hope we can keep it up thanks very much Janil uh, rest up and we'll see you tomorrow at stage three now from the man who's the face of Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa one of the faces to a man who makes magic behind the scenes Michael Jardine uh, just explain your role in the team um, I'm currently the chief engineer. Uh, I'm responsible for designing the cars. Uh, we basically come up with a concept of what we're going to do and then I have uh, two engineers that I work with and then we basically design all the parts, get them manufactured and build the cars and then we come to the race and then at the race uh, we do all the data logging, uh, speak to the drivers, see what they need and make changes. How many Dakars have you done? Uh, I think this is my 12th Dakar uh, with gaps in between. Uh, my first one was in 2001 with, uh, when Peter Hansel was racing in this. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, been through a couple of really harsh ones in Africa and uh, yeah, all the interesting ones in, in South America. Mike, so every, every day we arrive at the bivouac after driving 200, 300, 400, 500 kilometers, whatever the case may be for the day. And whenever we arrive, you're already seated uh, underneath the gazebo behind your computer. And then we go about our work and we do everything we have to do. And when we leave later that night, you're still sitting there at the same place behind the same computer. What are you doing for so long? What exactly are you looking at on that screen? Oh, basically, we, uh, we start, we look at basic parameters like uh, temperatures, pressures, make sure the, the car's running right, and then we start looking for if there could be any issues. Uh, the driver will obviously tell us if there's something obvious, and then we look for things that could be going wrong, like we look at uh, every, like gear shifts, because um, sometimes you can see like a little fault creeping in, the gear shift gets slightly slower or faster, and you know there might be some damage in the box, and then we tell the the, the guys work, technicians working on the car to pull the box and we have a look inside uh, we have look at the engine make sure everything every, everything's working fine there and then um, yeah and then just go over with the technicians and see if all the nuts and bolts are tight if something comes loose try to figure out why and uh, yeah so just overall looking at all the little nitty-gritty stuff I think it's important just to explain to the listeners that when Mike says they, they look at things, they, they don't look at things. They plug in an Ethernet cable into a designated port on the dash of the car and then dump all the data from a data logging system in the car to the, to the laptop. And then they sit under the shade, like Hannah said, and look at the laptop line by line. So Mike, how many lines of data do you capture in a, in a, in a typical race? Uh, we log the ECU and uh, that basically just does mainly ECU channels um, and then we also have a big logger in the car itself that does separate stuff so on the ECU it's over 400 channels um, you can look at uh, when pressure builds up in the direct injection line to when things fire to how much current everything's using and then on the car we we can see tire pressures during the stage uh, tire temperatures um, 
when fans come on and off how much current they use um, so basically like a fuel pump we will look at a fuel pump and look at a trend over a couple of days and if, if a pump starts using slightly more current then we know that there, there might be a fault of the pump and we we change that preemptively uh, yeah we also sorry <laughs> we can also uh, look at uh, things like um, the drive the driver brake pressures uh, if he's actually driving on the stage and he changes his brake pressures and we know um, maybe he's got an issue maybe the one of the brakes overheating we can look at the brake temperatures um, we have water cooling on the brakes so we have to make sure the pumps are working it's a, it's a nice interesting system just a quick question Mike Janil was talking about fuel consumption we obviously know it's quite heavy in the loose sand uh, let's see how well he knows his car he was talking about one to one 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 kilometer per liter uh, it depends. Um, we never really see that on the stage that often because when we go testing, we'll go find a dune, like the hardest dune we can find, and then they climb up that dune on a on a really high gradient, and then you'll see that you could see that when they're testing. But in general, over a long stage, everything balances out, and it's a little bit better than that. I can't give exact numbers, but uh, you wouldn't want that on your road car. But it's pretty good for a race car. I have another question on that because obviously with a, with a race car it, it's a working place, it's an office for, for these guys um, and, and you want to make it as light as possible so you don't want to carry additional fuel so you have to calculate as accurately as possible how much fuel you're going to use on the stage. Um, how little fuel would you like to see when they come back into the bivouac? What's your buffer more or less? Well it depends on how close the end of the stage is to the bivouac. So if the, the stage is quite far from the bivouac, we, we like to see almost like 10, 20 liters left. That's, that's cutting it close because um, the buffer is there if they get lost and they could do an extra 40, 50 Ks somewhere and then we need them to get back home. But if they finish at the bivouac, then it's something safe is 40, 50 liters. Okay, so and yeah. then the drivers go crazy because it's too heavy. <laughs> it's fairly accurate and a lot of pressure to get that one right. Oh, I mean, it is extremely pressurized. Uh, I mean, the stress on you must be immense when they leave for race day. I mean, it, you know that they're almost going to come back to the finite numbers. As you mentioned, you've got that little bit of buffer, but if they get lost, if they're stuck out there, the onus is on you. Well, the problem's on you because first you've got to get them back. And secondly, you're kind of to blame. Yeah, well... And every year the Dakar organizers make a different change things like some years they'll give you altitude uh, over the stage so you know at different altitudes the engine uses different amount of fuel and then other years like this year they they don't give you any of that so you don't know how it's going to affect it so even though we fairly low compared to normal Dakars we still go to 2000 meters and that can change your fueling by 18 percent and then um, other things like um, before they used to break the stage up and they say okay there's going to be 30% dune, there's going to be 20% uh, gravel and rock. Um, now they don't tell us any of that so then after the when the drivers and navigators get their road books for the next day they have a quick five minute look through it and they say oh it's similar to yesterday but meanwhile there's a like a valley or a canyon the, the book doesn't really show they just say go into a valley and you don't know inside the valley could be fish fish where your fuel consumption could be even worse than one to one. Just describe exactly what fish fish is for the uninitiated. So fish fish is basically like talcum powder. So the dust gets so fine, it almost floats. And then uh, you could walk through it and it's only like 
10 centimeters thick but you can get places where it's almost half the, the you know almost comes up to the door line of the car and it's quite dangerous because you could be because it doesn't slow the car down that much sometimes you could be going at flat you know full speed and then hit a rock which you can't see which is almost the size of a wheel so it's very dangerous to go th quick through the fish fish but you can't slow down because everyone else is going quick Michael, just quickly on a different note, um, all those 500 lines of data that you look at, what do you know? What does that tell you of the different drivers? Can you learn stuff from the drivers, different dri driving styles? Uh, give us some inside info. Who does what according to the data on the computer? Uh, everyone's slightly different. Um, Bernard likes to rev the car and make a lot more gear changes. Um, he he's quite aggressive with with the throttle and and, and the way he drives. Uh, NASA looks very spectacular but when you actually look at his data he's very smooth inside the car and he ends up using he generally uses less fuel over dune than the other drivers because he flows through the dunes and he, you know he almost preempts where the car's going to be able to get grip or not and Janil's just consistent he uh, you know his gear changes are usually on point and um, nothing not he's not uh, he doesn't have any like red flags that you have to look out for he's he's quite a good guy to look look after i think that uh, about wraps things up uh, from your side uh, you, i know you need to get back to work but any hairy things we can expect tomorrow what does the data tell us that you guys need to prepare for and uh, anything you encountered today when uh, having a review of the cars that gave you a bit of a fright or or made you smile uh, today was a pretty good day. All the cars came back without any issues. Um, we we basically just giving them a, a once over, checking all the bolts. Uh, tomorrow is going to be, we're not 100% sure. Uh, last year there was a similar stage, but then the organizers put waypoints in different places. Like there was one waypoint in the bottom of valley, valley and the very next one on top of a valley. And we had trouble uh, climbing the valleys in such a short space. So hopefully they don't do crazy things like that again and we should be fine. It will be similar to today and hopefully we can stay in the front. Well, best of luck. Uh, we've got our own driver and navigator from the media side. Uh, Hannes Fisser is our driver. Voldo, our navigator. Where are we off to tomorrow? Well, we're heading to uh, the town of Arequipa, uh, further southward from here. It's about a 350-odd kilometer drive for us if we just follow the road. Um, and hopefully it's a lot easier than the guys will encounter who's actually doing the race because we don't have any dunes to worry about. Yeah, but they don't have any traffic to worry about, which can also make it quite challenging. How, how bad was that traffic in Lima? The Lima traffic is probably the worst I've ever seen in my life in all cross-country events, Dakar, Morocco included, whatever. The, the Lima traffic is absolutely, absolutely horrendous, you know. So um, 350 kilometers back home is the equivalent to Joburg to, to Harry Smith, which can take two and a half, less than three hours. 350 kilometers here can take all day so uh, with some heavy moments in between let's hope we have a safe day too now i mentioned earlier that uh, voldu has been sending out the press releases but i mean we've been doing a host of content for media across the board for tv radio social media written media etc also been putting together a tv show which uh, the first one aired well as we speak it aired about an hour ago uh, but yeah you can catch that live on on super sport uh, at 20 past 10 every evening uh, and that is directly before the official Dakar show and it's a 10 minute show that covers Toyota Gazoo racing South Africa and, and all in all Volda I mean uh, yeah it's, it's been a lot of fun a lot easier in comparison to other events uh, again touch wood because we know that it's very difficult to predict uh, what's coming up in the Dakar rally but uh, yeah it's, it's been a lot of fun so far 
It has been fun, and it's 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 always an amazing event to be a part of such a massive circus. It's, as we sit here, it's just one competitor after the other, and trucks still driving into the bivouac, and this will continue late into the night. Uh, whereas our guys are almost uh, finishing up with the servicing and will be getting ready to go to bed, they've got a much earlier start than the than the late arrivals. But just being here and being part of the circus every year is is astounding, and and as much as we. Uh, we hate it by the end of it. We quickly start looking forward to the next one again. Yeah, and it's of course it's on uh, many people's bucket lists to be at a Dakar rally. So we know we are very privileged. It's a lot of work, but it's uh, a hell of a lot of fun too. So we've got uh, a lot of work still to do. So we're going to wrap things up on this side, and we'll see you in stage three for Arequipa. Remember, Janiel de Villiers is currently the leader of the 2019 Dakar rally. Thanks for listening to Inside the Game. Brought to you by Radar Media.